0: welcome today. Glad that you are here. We are uh, in a series, as I said earlier, called Do You See What I See? And based on that lyric of the famous song or the, the song made famous by Bing Crosby. And uh, we're just looking at the real story of Christmas and asking God just to help us to see it, like to see the the, the 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 wonder, the majesty of Christ coming into the earth. And I know it's a season that we celebrate every year, like right? we have Christmas, it comes every year, and you probably go to church services and you hear the story. And so, in all the tradition, we kind of get numb or or blinded to the story. And so I'm just asking the Lord to give us just some fresh eyes this year. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. If you want to start turning there, it's going to be the, the, the main part of the story that we're going to read together. And um, today's message is called Prepare Him Room. And that's, that's the focus today. So why don't we read this together? You can just kind of follow along. I think we're going to have it on the screens for you as well. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line, of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of the Lord. This is also the real story of Christmas, and I just want you to imagine with me that you're mary and joseph and you're uh this kind of supreme leader caesar augustus who kind of thought he was god uh he declares that you've got to go back to your home to your hometown like wherever your family's from i don't know where your family's from but you have to travel back there and for them that was an 80 mile journey on foot slash donkey And I haven't ridden a donkey before, but I'm guessing that's probably not super comfortable for a pregnant woman to be riding on a donkey. And they're going uphill. It's like when old people told the story of like, uh, hey, we used to walk to school. It was uphill both ways, right in the snow. And you know the story. It was kind of like that. It's like they're walking, and it's, it's cold. It's December time. And they're walking 80 miles uphill to this city of David that's kind of up in the the hills of Israel. And they get there, and you knock on the door of La Quinta Inn, right? It's the the only one in town. And there's no room. I mean, imagine that. If you've ever been on a long journey, like a long road trip, and you're going to stop somewhere, but it's like it takes longer than you think. It's the middle of the night, and you finally get there, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have a room for you. And you're like, what it's not like there was another you know another hotel down the road they could go to this was a tiny village they've made a long journey and the phrase that's kind of been uh, I don't know captivating me this season is verse 7 where it says there was no guest room available for them no guest room available for them this inn Uh, Your your translation might say there was no room in the inn. That was the inn. It was a public place that everybody would have known about in Bethlehem. And uh, I know that most of you probably picture Mary and Joseph in a barn somewhere. But this week, I was studying about where Jesus was born. And it's actually, there's a church of the nativity that was built in the 300s by Constantine, and it was rebuilt in the 6th in the, in the century. It's still there uh, today, and you can see the, the traditional spot, and it's more like a cave or a grotto. So imagine that. You're, there's no room, and you're like, well, where do we go? And you're like, Well, there's a, an animal pen over there. And so you walk over and there's like a little cave. And I don't know if you've been in a cave lately, but imagine a cave that animals go into for shelter and they kind of like, you know, poop everywhere and all that kind of stuff. And so that's the scene of the Messiah, the high king of heaven coming into earth is that a cave, right? Born in a cave, Now, Casey and I, when we travel, if we go into a hotel and we find a hair, we're like, oh my gosh, like this, this place is nasty. I I need, I need, I need a new room, right? We're we're freaking out. But imagine the scene. They're probably like kind of shuffling kind of the, the animal feces like out and just sort of making a spot. Their clothes are all dirty. Maybe Mary's got like some hay sticking out of her hair, right? Because they're laying in an animal cave. And Jesus is born there because there's no room for him. And I think that phrase becomes like a theme for the life of Jesus. There's no room for him. I mean, just think about his life as he grows into this this man who begins this ministry. And it's like he doesn't fit the concept of Messiah that they think of. And the kingdom that he's talking about, that he's bringing, doesn't fit the idea that they had about what the kingdom of the Messiah was going to look like. And so these Jews have, like, no room for him. Like, you don't fit here. And then we have the, the Roman rulers of that time, this, this guy who's dubbed the king of the Jews that's stirring up all the crowds. And they're like, you don't fit here. You, you, there's no room for you in this picture. And then fast forward, there's this moment in the book of Revelation where John is worshiping God on, on the Lord's day, on a Sunday. And he has this like open heaven vision and Jesus appears to him and tells him to write these letters to the churches. And he writes to this one in Laodicea, which was a wealthy place, kind of like America. They, it they, they, uh, says that they felt like they had no need. Like we're wealthy, we have no need, we, we need nothing. And Jesus says, look, you're lukewarm. I-, I wish you were hot or cold. I, I just, I want to spew you out of my mouth. And-, and-, and you don't even know how needy you really are. And then he has this line, and, and it's probably a verse that you know, you've heard you know, before. And it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock Y'all know that one? If anybody would open the door and let me in, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And so here's Jesus resurrected in glory, ascended to the Father, having this moment with John. And it's like the same story. It was his own people, the people of his church, and they had no room for him. He was on the outside saying, I'd love to come in. And it got me thinking about our lives my life, your life, do we have room for him? Do we have space? Does Jesus fit with all the things that are happening in our lives? Do do we have room for him? That's the question I I want us to consider today as we look at this passage is, what is it that crowds our lives? I I came up with a, a list that maybe might help us of what is it that overcrowds our lives. And the first are my two buddies, Hurry and Worry. I don't know if y'all know these two guys, like they kind of follow me around. They're like cousins, they're sort of related, Hurry and Worry. And I'll just kind of give you an example of Hurry and Worry. So it's uh, Hurry to get ready in the morning. Hurry to get out the door to get the kids to school in the morning so you can hurry to get to work. And then you hurry to get the work done so that you can hurry home and hurry to get dinner ready. And then hurry to get the kids' homework done so that you can hurry the kids to practice. And then you're going to hurry home again to take a quick, hurried shower and then hurry to bed so that you can get up and hurry again tomorrow. Does that sound familiar to (laughs) anybody? Right? It's like there's just all these things to do. And it's like, you're just constantly in a hurry from thing to thing to thing. And it's like, you, you just like, it's like the treadmill. It's like, da 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 right? Hurry. Dallas Willard, who was an amazing thinker, author, a, a professor of philosophy uh, in California. And, and he said this, that hurry is the enemy of spiritual life. That, that when we're always in a hurry, he's basically saying we have no room. We have no room for spiritual life. It's the enemy. It's the rhythm of the hyper modern life and hurry's cousin is worry and we have lots to worry about these days, right? I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we just went through a crazy election And we're all kind of like, now there's aliens or something in in a space force. And so we're like, what in the world is going on on planet Earth, right? This worry, it's the worry of scarcity. And maybe you felt this, right? I I felt this. There's not going to be enough fill in the blank. Whatever that blank is for you, there's not going to be enough, what, money, time, energy, (laughs) help uh, there's there's not going to be enough toilet paper at the store this week right like fill in the blank there's there's stuff to worry about the worry of letting other people down letting your spouse down or your kids down or your parents down or, or your boss or your employees or your coworkers, or your friends you have the worry of health right COVID's brought all these worries we have hurry and worry and these things just kind of crowd our lives the, the, the second thing I thought of is the have-to's. These are all good things. I have to go to work. I have to take care of my family. Right? I, I have to keep up my schedule. I, I have to, you know, fix meals. I have to get the kids to and from their after-school activities. I've got to fix the linky the, 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 the sink that's leaking in the bathroom right now. Like I, I have to do this stuff but the thing is there's it's like the list gets so long and it's like it feels like it all has to be done right now you just feel like overcrowded by the list um there's distraction and self-medication and and that's where we kind of escape And we kind of numb out and we kind of fill every little like moment that we're not doing all the other stuff with like the phone and social media or the Netflix show hole or whatever it is for you where, you know, if it's like wordscapes and, you know, you're just like I've fallen into that hole lately. Like it's like you fill every little extra moment with just kind of this distraction or what I call self-medication. You can kind of numb yourself with alcohol or meds or addictions to entertainment or pornography or some other destructive, sinful thing, right? It crowds our lives. Lastly, I just thought of this. It's just like worldliness. It's like we just kind of chase after all the stuff that everybody else is chasing after. Or it's like we're so bought into what the world thinks about every issue that's like when, when truth comes, it's like we just don't have space for that. There's no room for God to speak into the issues of life for us. It doesn't fit. We, we all struggle with overcrowding, and this has an effect on us, doesn't it? So, another list for you the, the effects of overcrowding our lives is the loss of margin. And if I had a, a piece of notebook paper and, and I, uh, you know, I started to write up in the top corner and I just, I mean, I'm filling every little you know, part of that page, and you get to the end, you're like, oh no, I, I forgot I was going to write about whatever. It's like there's no more space for one extra word. I, I love helping my kids with their homework, and it's funny to watch because they're learning about margins and all that kind of stuff, and a lot of times it's like they just like get to the end, and it's like they try to squeeze that little word right into the end, right? And it's, it's cute, right? But I, I was thinking, we live our lives that way, like to the edges, all the way to the edge, like there's, there's just no extra space, and so when there's a wreck on the highway, we got to lose our minds. <laughs> we get impatient and angry and reckless, or when your child needs that extra care, or attention, or discipline, and you're just like bah! Rage monster comes out, right? Dude Perfect, Rage Monster, anybody? Oh, I got some kids in the house, thank you. I try to, I try to throw something in there for you every week, okay? Dude Perfect Rage Monster comes out. It happens sometimes. <laughs> we have no room for the, the unexpected, right? The tire's flat. The fridge broke. The washer's not working, right? We just have stuff that happens. And we have no margin for it. We, uh, we also lose relational connection. It's the loss of relational connection. There's no margin for relationship with God, and there's no margin, there's no room for real relationship with others, and so everything is like quick transactions, like real fast. Like I got three minutes, five minutes, like just quick, quick, quick. And we lose connection and we try to function on the crumbs of connection and we're like starving. Like we're starving inside for like the real relational connection with God and with friends, family, loved ones. Another, the loss of feeling. It's it's where you, you love God And you love your family and you love your friends and you love your church, but it's like I don't feel loving towards any of those things because I don't have time, right? We don't have time to feel loved by God or by friends or by family or by our church, So we we lose feeling. I think of the words of Jesus who said, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Wise words of Jesus. Lastly, and I think this is maybe the most devastating part of an overcrowded life, is the loss of worship. Because worship is wonder. Worship is awe. Worship is the natural response that we have when we get a glimpse of God and his glory, when it's like you just, in your heart, in your mind, you see it and you're just like, oh, it's worship. And we lose worship when we lose relationship, we lose connection, we lose margin. We might go through the motions of worship, but there's no fire on the altar. See, this this overcrowding has this effect on us, it's affected me, and it blocks our awareness of God. It's like we just don't have room. I've told you the story about driving into Houston one day and being the first person that comes upon this massive wreck, and I hop out of my car, I pray for this guy whose life is hanging in the balance, And um, as I'm praying for that guy, all the cars, like a highway full of cars, start to get angry. They're, They're honking. They're flipping each other off. They're just mad that they're stuck on this road, and they're trying to get to work. And I saw this moment of kind of like a holy moment of praying for this guy, and then like the worst of our human nature coming out at the same moment. I got back in my car, and I had this epiphany of purpose, like our purpose as the church, as the people of God. And it was this, helping people become people again. That the, the hyper-modern world that we live in will, will run us ragged, but God actually wants to renew us. You know, the word renaissance means Renewal. That's what it means to, to be renewed and that God wants to renew you in such a way that you're going to be a conduit of renewal in the world. That like God wants to do something in you that's so good and so profound and so wonderful that it, it changes you and you actually become a change agent of God's renewing work. So what does Christmas have to do with our overcrowded Hearts. Well, I think you can maybe think about this with me, but I think that most of the stuff that was on that list the hurry and the worry and the uh, distraction, even the worldliness, the have tos, the, the feeling that everything's got to be done like right now like most of that stuff is driven by this deep fear slash belief, that God's not really with us. Like he's, he's not with me. Like I believe in God. He's, he's out there somewhere. I believe in Jesus, but he's not here, like here in, in the midst of my busy schedule or in the midst of you know, all the things that are on the list. Like He's not here right now. He's out there somewhere but he's not here. And I think that if we're to kind of dig deep, 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 deep down under all those things that crowd our lives, that's what drives us, a fear, a belief that he's not here. And into that uh, mindset comes this Christ child that Matthew one twenty three says, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The message of Jesus being born in a cave, a nasty cave, in, in a world that had no room for him, was this, God is with us. He's with you. He wants to walk with us. He's still interrupting our overcrowded lives to say, I'm right here. He's Emmanuel. God with us. <laughs> I think of John's verse that we see plastered on the sides of the football stadiums, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, God so loved the world, like loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves you. He's come for you. He's made the move toward you in sending Jesus, the Christ child, God with us. So this coming of Christ heralds the reality that God is still breaking into our overcrowded lives and calling us to prepare him room. That's what I hope you hear today. So, Let's get practical. Like, how do we prepare Him room? Like, how do you do that? How do you make room for Jesus? How do you make room for Him? Well, um, I was thinking about our households right now, that you're probably like us. Christmas is a time of gift-giving. And so you probably have picked out some stuff for your family members, your kids, and you're probably your extended family are also picking out stuff for you and your kids. And so on Christmas Day, uh, some of you are going to go drive to a family's house and your car is going to get loaded up with a bunch of stuff, probably like over, you know, overflowing, the trunk you know, doesn't fit all that. And you're going to drive it home and you're going to walk in and be like, oh, this is great. Where do we put this stuff? <laughs> that feeling, right? It's like, like we, we got a new bike. Where's that gonna go? Like, we have so much stuff in our garages. It's not like our house grew or the closet grew or the garage grew. It's like, it's all the same size. So we have to figure out what will we let go of to bring in the new. And if we think about Jesus and preparing him room, I think we have to ask the question, what can we let go of to make room for him? The first thing, and hear me on this, okay? I'll just tell you what it is. Ditch the lie and embrace the truth. You're like, what What does that mean? Ditch ditch the lie and embrace the truth. Here's what I mean, that church in Laodicea that Jesus tells John, hey, write a letter to those guys and tell them, behold, I stand at the door and knock, I I wanna come in, whoever opens the door to me, right? That verse, he, he, he says that they thought I'm rich, I've become wealthy and I need nothing. What they were believing was a lie the lie that they didn't need anything. They had everything they needed. And so Jesus gives them the truth. Uh, Actually, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Sorry. The truth, right? For example, for us, when when we have this hurry and worry, this idea that God is out there but he's not with me, right, That, that leads us to the weariness and the raggedness and the hurry and the worry. And guess what, that's not true. God's not just out there somewhere, he's the God who's with us in the midst of our lives. And so we ditch the lie that says everything's on me, I've gotta make it all happen. I've gotta hold it all together. If I don't, no one else will, and it'll all fall apart and we'll all die or something. Right? (laughs) We have to release that and say, no, no, no. That's not true. God is with me. God cares about me. God cares about my kids more than I care about my kids. God loves me more than I even love myself. He's for us. He's with us, and I ditch the lie, and I embrace the truth of Emmanuel, God with us. And that first step is a step of faith. Don't you love it how God always takes us there? Oh, it's gonna take faith, it's gonna take trust, that's how he works. It's, a, it's an exchange on the inside where we trust Emmanuel. The second thing, Clear out the frenetic and make space for fellowship. Clear out the frenetic, the crazy, and make space for fellowship. Now, I'll give you an example. Casey and I were talking about this because, you know, sometimes as a preacher, you say things and it's like so pie in the sky. It's like... Nobody knows what to do with that, right? So I'm asking her, like, tell me. Tell me about this. Tell me about this deal. And we started talking about, like, our lives and and the season of our life and how busy it is. And we're talking about our house. Now, let me tell you about our house. We're the kind of people that like to have our house clean and orderly. And some of you hate people like us, and I, I understand that, right? But we had a neighbor come visit one time, and she said, oh, it looks like a museum. And I was like how do I take that? It looks like a museum. Uh, it's like everything was just kinda tidy and like stuff was in its place and we have some antiques, so maybe she thought, oh, it's like a museum. I, I don't know, but like that's what she thought of when she came into her house. And we're in a season right now with three kids and two full-time jobs and just all the stuff of our lives that we're both saying we can't keep the house the way, the way that we want to. And you know what? For someone like me, that stresses me out sometimes. But here's the exchange. Clean house, king of the universe. I could be stressed about that, or I could let that go. And I could say, you know what? God, thank you. That this morning, I'm not running around the house trying to fix things or clean things, but I'm actually able to sit with you, read your word, and pray. That's what it comes down to for us. You have the list, you have the things, but it's like, what is that thing? It's like, here's the trade, whatever that is, with the God of the universe wants to walk and talk with you. What do you want? to clear out the frenetic, and to make space for for fellowship. I I wanna encourage you, if you don't have a daily rhythm of just some time with God, it might look different for everyone in the room. Some of you have a little bit more uh, more room in your schedule. Some of you have less, and for some of you, that's gonna be like 15 minutes. Like, I gotta start getting dressed at like 6.15, so at 6 a.m., I got a cup of coffee in my hand, and I got my Bible, and I'm gonna read, and I'm gonna pray. For for others, it's like, I've got 30 minutes. Like, I'm gonna give 30 minutes. Others, it it might be more, depending on your season of life. But I just wanna encourage you just to set some rhythms in your life because God is offering you the joy, the greatest joy that you could ever experience in knowing him, to walk and talk with him. And I don't want you to finish life and be like, man, I totally squandered it. I missed it. So, We have to reorganize our lives, we have to let some things go, we have to clear out the frenetic so that we can reorganize those lives around fellowship with God. We have to prepare him room. Because the promise is, the promise of the gospel is, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him, her, and eat with them and them with me. That's the promise of God. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin churchorg